The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Kelton, I'll, I'll stop after I say this, but one of the things when you hear these stories anecdotally, let's say someone you're in a bar and someone says, hey, did you hear about that author who did X? Often that author can become a figure of, of fun or villainy or, you know, incredulity. But we said, let's look at why this person would do this and why someone would react that way. And what does that show us about the world of publishing and how it works and how it might change and what is showing respect to everyone? We're not going to make anyone into a figure of fun, even if we're highly critical of them. And welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Longtime literary critic and publishing insider Beth Ann Patrick spoke to me about how she became a famed reviewer, where she puts all the books, and her new investigative podcast, Missing Pages. Beth Ann is a writer, author, and critic whose monthly column on hot books appears in the Washington Post. An influencer in the book world, Beth Ann, aka The Book Maven, has over 200,000 Twitter followers and originated the popular Friday Reads tag. She's also the host of the all-new narrative podcast, Missing Pages, which investigates the good, the bad, and the messy of the publishing industry. Described as an investigative podcast, Missing Pages uncovers the power struggles, mistaken identities, and unfathomably bad behavior within the secretive world of book publishing. Beth Ann's book reviews and author profiles have appeared in the LA Times, Poets and Writers Magazine, NPR Books, Lit Hub, Publishers Weekly, and many others. She's the author of two books for National Geographic, an editor of an anthology for Regan Arts, and is currently writing a memoir for Counterpoint Press. In this file, Beth Ann and I discussed how she became a self-styled book maven, the logistical issues of receiving 20 books a week, what it's like cracking the Cosa Nostra of publishing, why disruption in the publishing industry can't come fast enough, how to bolster your career by writing reviews, 
and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are rolling once again. I am honored today to have a an esteemed guest. I've got Beth Ann Patrick is on the show today, and we are going to talk about some really exciting stuff in uh, writing and publishing and all things scribe related. How are you feeling today, Beth Ann? I am feeling great, actually, Kelton. And uh, how about you? You know, surviving over here. Um, it's uh, it's the cool weather has finally arrived. Where are you? I'm in North Carolina. Great. So we're hit. We're seeing some like this is really silly to talk about, but like it's kind of a relief to see like mid seventies uh, when we've had so many ninety degree plus days. Uh, totally the same here in Northern Virginia, and I just have to tell you to make you and the rest of the world jealous that I spent last week in or was it the week before I'm losing track in Telluride, Colorado on Mm. vacation. Mm -hmm. And I'd never been there before. And Telluride is in the San Juan mountains, not in the Rockies, little Southern, little Southwest of that. And it was 65 or 70 degrees every single day. Oh my gosh. And it was like, and no humidity. It was heaven on earth. Um, Everyone, Buy your property and tell your right now. <laughs> yeah, good luck too. Right. <laughs> um, not a hot market at all. It, it is uh, a magical, <laughs> magical place, and um, obviously well known for for its. I think it's a bluegrass festival, and then also uh, it's a ski resort. Yes, they have an amazing bluegrass festival, which I have not attended yet. But it, it kind of feels like you're in the Swiss Alps or something, right? Seriously. Uh, you know, just like this little town, it's like you're in this magical valley somewhere and the rest of the world doesn't exist. And uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. Look, look, check out some pictures of Telluride. It's tr- a truly a magical place. Um, well, yes, of course I'm jealous, but that's what we're not what we're here to talk about. My jealousy, I can shelve for the moment. <laughs> um, we're here to talk about your Amazing, amazing career! Your fantastic new podcast, which which I have to say, honestly, is my new favorite. Thank you very much. Why? Thank um, you. Yeah, but um, put together by some fantastic folks that we both know at the Podglomerate, and I want to talk all about it. But take us back a little bit because um, listeners probably have seen your name or visited your, you know, or read one of your reviews or uh, one of your books. But talk a little bit about how you became the book maven and kind of, uh, you know, I don't know what that means. Because honestly, I'm sure that some listeners, you know, are reviewers or have, you know, dreamed about becoming a book reviewer of your stature. But talk a little bit about this amazing career of yours. Oh, I love that uh, phrase of my stature, because I am five foot one dripping wet. And uh (laughs) (laughs) uh, but uh, what is really interesting, first of all, I am the self-styled book maven, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I was freelance writing, and I was having a really tough time um, 
getting my career off the ground, partly because um, my husband was active duty military for over 20 years. And uh, he's, you know, retired from active duty now, but still works for the Department of Defense. Um, Hmm. Not my favorite thing, but, you know, golden handcuffs. So here we are. I'm trying to get my career off the ground as a writer. And I start writing book reviews, you know, and I started writing book reviews for small places where I knew I could you know, get something in, get a free book. It's very exciting when that first starts to happen. Now (laughs) that I get, you know, 10 to 20 books a day, it's, you know, still exciting, but a little (laughs) bit more of a logistical problem. Okay. But anyway, um, eventually after, you know, writing a bunch of book reviews and doing some author profiles and meeting a few people in the business, I was able to get a job at AOL in the very, very early days of lit blogging as the book's editor. This is when AOL was still a thing. It was uh-huh. uh, very exciting for me. And they wanted me to start an AOL home journal. That's what they called their blogs back in the day. Um, this is a little less than 20 years ago. So I did, and they asked me to name it. I couldn't just call it Beth Ann's book blog, blah, blah, blah. And it happened that Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point had just come out. Mm. And I just read it and he talks about mavens. And one of the things that made me want to call my blog the book maven was that the word maven means both expert, Kelton, and freak. Mm. (laughs) And I love that. It's a Yiddish word. I love the fact because I was trying to poke fun at myself. I wasn't just trying to call myself like this book, you know, like I know everything about books. I'm a little <laughs> bit of a one trick pony. And and uh, I think a lot of people thought that I was trying to elevate myself as the book maven. It was much more, <laughs> um, you know, much more fun than that. So anyway, that was where the book maven started. And I will say, I think I've said this before in interviews, AOL tried to copyright uh, the book Maven and weren't able to. And so when I left AOL, um, I was able to take that along with me to Publishers Weekly, where I blogged as the book Maven for a couple of years and so on and so forth. That's a cool story. And today, of course, uh, you have uh, a column um, where you're reviewing regularly for not only the Washington Post, but also LA Times, NPR, and the list goes on and on and on. But um, so you've established yourself as as quite an quite an authority in uh, and you know as a longtime literary critic and a publishing world insider. It seems only natural that you would be kind of the go to uh, narrator for this fantastic new podcast, Missing Pages kind of the, the subtitle is reopening literary cold cases. So it's because this is kind of like a podcast that that marries almost like true crime and the publishing industry. And it, it really is compelling stuff. Well, thank you. And it's with the Podglomerate, who is an amazing group of people. My team is just incredible. And Every single person on that team, from our executive producer, Jeff Umbro, the CEO of the Podglomerate, um, to my showrunner, Kayla Lippman, to Joni Deutsch, our VP and marketing genius, um, to 
Matt Healy, who is also a marketing genius, and Jordan Aaron, my amazing uh, tech producer. There's so many people, and I'm sorry for anyone whose name, oh, Chris Boniello, our um, engineering lead, and Dan Christo, who's doing our ads, and on and on it goes. But the fact is, we say in our credits that it's produced by a small army, and it Hmm. really is a small army. This is not a show that is just a, a hosted show, just a you know a, a unscripted talk through show. It takes a lot of effort from a lot of people for us to make what is really an investigative piece of investigative journalism. Yeah, and I'm thrilled to do it. And I also want to say, just you know, you, you said you know, amazing this, fantastic that, and I like to think of myself sort of as an eminence grise at this point. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I couldn't pronounce that, but, but you did a very good job. Merci. Well, um, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like you have your, your fingers in a lot of different pies is that a phrase uh, yes it is oh okay but yeah you got a lot going on and so uh, obviously as i mentioned it, it does make sense that um you would be kind of the go-to for something like this and and kind of so talk a little bit about about the kind of the structure of the show because i got a chance to listen to two episodes thus far and you know there's a lot of, uh, as we have mentioned you're a publishing uh insider but there there's stuff in here that's like you know, when you're talking about, let's just talk about um, the first episode a little bit. And, and obviously, no spoilers because we want right. listeners to check out the show. But talk a little bit about this first episode. And you're talking about some stuff that I, I see that listeners are like, whoa, I didn't know about book packaging or, right. you know, and, and the plagiarism piece. And, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of cool, cool information going on. But it's also like a truly compelling story because, as as you said, you're you're kind of doing this investigative journalism that is truly kind of groundbreaking. Well, thank you. It is not what I expected to be doing. And yet it is working and it's working because we are looking at this as both a narrative and as reporting. It is not something, you know, we're not just telling a story and we're not just, um, you know, on the beat about it. We really are weaving together what we think, as the the word you use, compelling, a compelling story for listeners, something that's really going to carry them along. And that takes a great deal of work. It's, uh, there are so many scripts that we thought, oh, we've got a handle on this. And then we tore them up and said, we need a completely new way of bringing people into this. And that often happened because of something we discovered. You know, we found out a new angle in the piece. We got some new information. We got a different interview that shed a completely new light on what was happening. So we really, it it was a dance. It was Mm. a dance back and forth between facts. And I, I want to also point out to 
your listeners and to some who may become our listeners that these all went through fact checking and legal review as well. Mm-hmm. So we have been very careful to make sure that we're not overstating things with me, that's always a danger. (laughs) We've been very careful to make sure that we are also being quite respectful of everyone in the story. And Kelton, I'll, I'll stop after I say this, but one of the things when you hear these stories anecdotally, let's say someone you're in a bar and someone says, hey, did you hear about that author who did X? Yeah. Often that author can become a figure of of fun or villainy or you know incredulity but we said let's look at why this person would do this and why someone would react that way and what does that show us about the world of publishing and how it works and how it might change and what is showing respect to everyone? We're not going to make anyone into a figure of fun, even if we're highly critical of them. Well, I should say that, of course, the the first episode is is incredibly compelling, so it just kind of pulls you in. And um, I did not get a chance to listen to Dan the Dan Mallory episode. I, I should restate, but I did get a chance to listen to um, an early draft of the Greg Mortensen story, which I I found incredibly incredibly interesting um and as you said you're it's like it's obvious that it's gone through some some rigorous uh fact checking because that must have been a really really hard um story to dig into and especially when there's something kind of elusive about the uh, about the subject right yeah absolutely and that's the other thing is we have tried to get in touch with all of the protagonists of these stories. We are not saying, oh, let's talk about you and you can't, you know, be on here. Uh, They have opportunities. And as you know, from listening to the Greg Mortensen episode, we did reach out to several of the big players. And, you know, sometimes we got a very polite um, negative response. Sometimes we got no response, but we did reach out. And that was also part of the process all along the way um, while our, you know, core production team was working on this is we kept each other honest you know, we we kept saying, are you sure we shouldn't do this? Um, or maybe we should cut that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, let's look into what the best language is, you know, on, on all of this. So yeah. we work together in such a collaborative way. And I hope, as you said, that it comes through that these have been fact-checked. I hope it also comes through that these are stories that – a team has coordinated. If I just, mm-hmm. you know, got on my computer and started talking about these things, it might not be bad, but <laughs> it wouldn't be as rich and deep and important. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, um, congrats to you and the team. Um, I'm excited to see the reception because it's really thank you. A really good show. Congrats, Jeff, Jordan who I know, and Kayla and Chris, of course, and all the work by the dozens of people that have touched it. But yeah, so, you know, just to reiterate, um, the the missing pages 
Uh, you can find wherever, wherever you find podcasts. Also, there's an unabridged edition, which listeners can like subscribe to, right? And get yes. like, early access to episodes. And there's more, there's more stuff there if you subscribe, I think, on Apple Podcasts. That there you can is, which to. is very exciting. We do, if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, then there are bonus episodes for each of our season one, eight episodes. And those are extended interviews with several of, mm. of our interview subjects. And they're really, really interesting. I just want to say that we, oh gosh, I mean, it's so hard not to give spoilers. <laughs> I don't want to say who they're with, but honestly, I think you will be so entertained by these interviews, which are off the cuff and really honest about the world of publishing which has been so opaque for so long. Um, There is this, uh, not only is there definitely a um, sense of Cosa Nostra about publishing, but there is also a definite code of Omerta, okay? Um, And I am not exaggerating. I am prone to it, but I'm not (laughs) exaggerating when I say that people inside publishing really haven't wanted to let everyone know how the sausage is made because some of it is just rife, if not rank, with privilege. And by privilege, I mean white privilege. And by white privilege, I mean patriarchal white privilege. And Mm -hmm. there are all kinds of problems when people say, this is not information that we give out, or it's really difficult to do this or that, or we can't calculate that because books aren't products, for example. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's, It's really difficult for people who are underrepresented to get a footing in the publishing Mm. industry, get their voices heard, their stories told when they are faced with a process that is kept so shaded and veiled from the average person. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that could be a whole other episode and probably (laughs) something that needs to be addressed. I found an article in the New York Times from June, which actually has an audio attached to it, so you can actually listen to it. It's about an hour long, but titled Inside the Push to Diversify the Book Business. Now, I don't know if this dovetails with what you're talking about, but it does. You know, how the book business has focused almost entirely on white readers for so many generations and Mm -hmm. how that's changing or or how it needs to be changing faster. It, it does. That was a great article, and it featured um, one of my favorite people in the publishing industry, Lisa Lucas, who yeah. is the head of Pantheon Books right now. And Lisa, as a Black woman who was in charge of the National Book Awards, you know, she has been seeing the games played for a long time, and now she's actually in the position to make a difference. And there are other people along with Lisa, women of color, um, men of color, who are making differences now, finally, in the book industry. Are they able 
to make enough of a difference? We don't know yet. Um, there is still a lot that is very, very much glossed over. And I've been seeing that, Kelton. This is something you know from speaking to me and seeing my tweets recently. I have been covering the government's case against Penguin Random House for mm-hmm. um, the past week or so for Publishers Weekly, the trade publication for all things publishing. And I have seen witnesses on the stand talk in such broad terms about publishing and saying things like a high advance has nothing to do with how the marketing plan for a book is um, constructed. Mm -hmm. And I just think, okay, a lot of people have said in quote tweets, that's lying. These are lying liars who lie. And I think maybe not. Kelton. Okay, maybe they're not lying. Maybe they either think they're telling the truth or they really do separate these things, but should they be separated? Is it the right way to conduct things? I'm not saying yes, they should be or no, they shouldn't be. What I'm saying is a lot of this stuff in publishing has just been taken for granted and taken as tradition and the way we always do things for a long, long time. And real disruption in publishing has not come along at the rate or with the success that many of us wish it would. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Maybe for listeners who wouldn't be familiar with the DOJ VPRH <laughs> hashtag, right? Um, can you just kind of sum up what that case uh, is bringing to bear? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Department of Justice is suing Penguin Random House in their, uh, well, not suing, trying to prevent Penguin Random House from buying Simon & Schuster. Now, Penguin Group, the Penguin Group merged with Random House back in, sit. I'm, I'm not going to get this right. Was it 2013? Uh, uh, check check the data we, somewhere else. I'll, I'll anyway, send it to the fact checkers. Thank you. Thank you, Kelton. There we go. But now Penguin Random House, which has made, we've gone from, you know, the big seven publishers to the big six publishers. Now we're at big five. Okay. Mm. So Penguin Random House, if they bought Simon & Schuster, would it would become the big four publishing houses? Um, yeah. Or I, let me see if I'm getting that. that there's another one. I, you know, uh, it's still morning. I'm still caffeinating. <laughs> um, but basically, you know, there's Harper Collins, there's Macmillan, there's Hachette. Oh, we go from big six to big five. So we okay. go to um, Harper Collins, Hachette, Macmillan, Penguin Random House, and then if Simon and Schuster were bought by Penguin Random House, we'd still have five technically because what Penguin Random House is saying is that they would keep Simon & Schuster as a separate entity. Of course, what people are concerned about is that A, Simon & Schuster would integrate, swallow up Simon, uh, Penguin Random House would swallow up Simon & Schuster. And the Department of Justice is concerned about this being not a monopoly, but becoming a monopsony, which, Mm. um, and the, the difference is between buyers and sellers, right? So a monopoly is when you have a certain 
amount of sellers of a product, like, you know, the Gilded Age um, steel magnates. So there were only hmm. a few places you could, you know, the, pe- people who sold um, a resource. But a monopsony is when you only have certain buyers of a, a product. And so this would make fewer buyers, the Department of Justice is saying, of books. And that might result in lowered author advances. But wait, wait for it, Kelton. Hmm. The only authors that they're actually concerned with right now are the authors who make $250,000 or more in their advances, what they're calling, the DOJ is calling top selling authors. One of the things that has made me laugh um, during these proceedings is that the witnesses uh, keep saying, we don't use the phrase top-selling authors in the industry. We call them best-selling authors. <laughs> and it's just like, I mean, it, you know, these are word people. They have to, you know, uh, think about the words. But the <laughs> fact is, most of the people, Kelton, that you and I know who are writers and often authors are not receiving anywhere near $250,000 for their manuscripts. This is something that affects a very small percentage of authors. And yet we've got this big case going on and it, it, it's really, really important stuff, but it's also crazy stuff. Yeah. Truly. Um, well, I would def- definitely point at your coverage there at Publishers Weekly, um, where you are covering that story. Uh, really compelling stuff. Thank you for your for your insights. Um, man, there's so much we could talk about. But right? to, you for, first and foremost, I mean, let's just, let's talk about the elephant in the room. You're a writer. Yes. Yes, I absolutely <laughs> am a writer, and it took me a long time to really understand what being a writer means because, you know, when you start out, I think everyone wants to be an author, right? You want to be a published author. That's the goal to have a book out in the world. But being a writer, you and I know this means you write. That's what you do with your days. Uh You write and you spend your time writing And sometimes that writing goes out into the world as an essay or an article or a tweet or a book, but it doesn't always, and there's no guarantee. So, um, you know, I, um, I'm a bit of a late bloomer when it comes to being a writer. I think I was an author before I really became a writer. Hmm. Yeah. Which is really ironic. I'm not, I, uh, but the books that I wrote before I actually became a writer, uh, they were uh, packaged books for National Geographic. Nothing, nothing bad about those. I'm very proud of them. And mm-hmm. uh, I also edited an anthology, but now I'm really writing. Writing is what I do every day. Yeah. Well, talk, let's, I know we're going to wrap this up and I, I'd love to pick your, I could pick your brain all day and oh, I'll have you back. You. But um, talk to, I don't know, aspiring, not only aspiring scribes, but just asp- maybe maybe aspiring uh, book reviewers. Because um, as you said, you kind of started out going to smaller, you know, a little bit smaller venues and then obviously landed, um, you know, kind of a bigger platform. 
that launched your career, but talk, talk maybe to aspiring reviewers who, who, you know, mm-hmm. might be just trying to, you know, get their, get their work noticed. Absolutely. One of the things that I want to say to anyone who's an aspiring reviewer is go with what you're passionate about. And that means, you know, if you want to write about big, heavy nonfiction books, great. If you want to talk about YA romance, great. If you want to talk about literary fiction or poetry, whatever, go with that. Go with your gut on what you really love or um, an interest that you have. You know, there are so many special interest publications out there. And if you care deeply about a particular illness or a particular genre or um, a a subject or a place, write about that. Um, Pitch books to editors about that. That gives you something to start with. A lot of people write book reviews on the way to becoming pundits or academics or regularly published authors. I seem to, it's not, I didn't get stuck. I actually care most about book reviews and I have learned a lot about book reviewing. In fact, I'll be teaching a class um, in October for Lafayette Writers Studio. Um, about the art of the book review. And I'm very Uh excited about that. But don't think that book reviews are the be all and end all if you want to write different kinds of things. They're a great way to get started. They're a great way to work on your own voice. It Uh happens that they are what I love the best, but doesn't mean that that has to be the same for you. You might want to, you know, really work on your fiction, but hey, writing book reviews gets you clips, it gets your byline out there. Uh, And even though book review coverage has had its ups and downs. There are a few places that have expanded it. The Washington Post has two new book review editors um, currently joining hmm. the book review editor there already, Steph Mary, along with Nora Krug. And um, so very uh, excited about what they're going to do with Book World. Uh, the Atlantic Magazine has brought Gal Beckerman from the New York Times to head up a new and expanded book review section. So there are places that are seeing this is still something important to a lot of people. And um, I hope we see that as more of a trend in the next year or two. Yeah, I think you said it best. Um, I think more, more important than ever. Yeah, because there's lots to sort through. <laughs> and so my my next question is, where do you put all the books, Beth Ann? <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> I mean, it's so, uh, at first, uh, uh, Kelton, uh, at first I thought, well, I will carefully curate a library of all the books that are inscribed to me from interviews and that I review, Right. <laughs> that has been impossible. My my family is like our whole book house is decorated with books. You've got to take this down a notch. Uh, and my office is just a fortress of galleys. And, oh, okay. uh, um, I have to clear it out every you know three months or so so I can get ready for a new season. And uh, it, it's 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 not easy. It is not easy. I wish that I 
were more official and had a book closet like a lot of the mm-hmm. newspaper editors do. But I I manage. I do manage. Amazing, amazing. I was kind of <laughs> I was kind of imagining like you had like a personal on-demand storage unit uh like on the on the f- street in front of your house where that you might to... be coming let me tell you yeah. i mean yeah. <laughs> maybe i'll build it behind my house so it's a little yeah. less of an eyesore but you know i could see really having like my own little book pod or book truck or something like that <laughs> and just saying to neighbors you know what walk down to the end of our driveway because we have a little free library at the end there of there you street. go are you kidding? That doesn't let me get, I mean, it's just a tiny little two shelf thing. (laughs) The giant free library. You need a bus. I do. You need a bookmobile. I need a bookmobile. bookmobile. Please. Will someone finance that? (laughs) Beth Ann's bookmobile. We'll we'll be taking, we'll be taking offers. (laughs) Well, it has been truly a pleasure. And uh, again, I could, I could bend your ear all day long, but I won't. Um, I will just mention the podcast one more time, Missing Pages. Um, quickly, across its eight episodes debut season, Missing Pages uncovers the power struggles, mistaken identities, and unfathomably bad behavior within the secretive world of book publishing. Each episode brings in authors, experts, publishing insiders, and a circus of New York City media elites to tell <laughs> the real story. Unfit for print. Congrats on the work. It's really, really a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Encourage listeners to check it out wherever you find your podcast. Of course, Apple Podcasts has that. The unabridged edition, um, where you can subscribe for early access to stuff. Is the best place to connect with you at the Book Maven on Twitter? It really is. That is a great place to find me. I'm at Dear Book Maven on Instagram as well. And okay. you can find me usually at Beth Ann Patrick on Facebook. Uh, but on Twitter, you are sure to, to find me. And if, you know, you can't, you want to send me a private message, a direct message, and you can't just say something on Twitter and I will say, oh, hey, I'll follow you so you can you know, send me that message. So, Fantastic. Bethann, thank you so much for your work and for your wisdom today and, and giving us kind of the insider look at some really interesting stuff. We'll be following along uh, and best of luck with the launch of the podcast. I know it just came out yesterday, right? It did. It just launched yesterday, first two episodes. So two will drop each week for the next few weeks. And uh, Kelton, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited. It was truly a pleasure. And do come back and wrap with us again in the future. That sounds great. Um, Rock on, Writer Files. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writer.com files.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.